Welcome to Investment Uncut. In Investment Uncut, we cut through the noise when it comes to investing. We're digging deeper to try and bring clarity to your investment decisions. I'm Dan Mikulskis. And I'm Mary Spencer. Investment Uncut is brought to you by the investment team at LCP. LCP provide investment advice to some of the largest institutional investors in the UK, including pension funds, wealth managers and sovereign funds. Find out more at lcp.uk.com. So today on Investment Uncut, we are looking forward to a really interesting discussion about race in investing. And for that discussion, we're delighted to welcome Gavin Lewis. Gavin is an MD at BlackRock, as well as being a member of the Diversity Project and a founder of Talk About Black. Gavin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dan. Thanks, Gavin, for joining us. To introduce the session, Gavin, could you give us a bit of an overview of, I guess, your day job at BlackRock, but also your involvement in Diversity Project and Talk About Black? Yeah, thank you. So yeah, I'm pleased you said my day job because it makes me sound like I do have two jobs and it, it does feel like I have <laughs> two jobs. Yeah, my job at BlackRock is basically to manage our relationships and then expand our relationships with local government pension schemes, which are basically public pension plans, open DB pension schemes. And it's quite simple. We have a range of clients and they have invested with us and we need to maintain those investments and obviously introduce new products to them. And for those local government pension schemes who are not clients, we then speak to them and try and introduce products to them as well. So that's the simple description. The other job I have is, as Dan rightly said, I'm a member of the Diversity Project, which was founded by Dame Helena Morrissey and some other forward-thinking women in the industry. I was asked to, alongside another industry, I guess a mogul, Dawid Kanoti Ahulu, to lead the Ethnicity Workstream, which we've now been doing for three years. But you might be more familiar, as Dan said, with our moniker, which is Talk About Black, just simply because we feel we needed to put a brand around what we do. And that is a day, evening and night job. And it basically involves trying to increase the representation of black professionals in the asset management industry. And I'm happy to tell you about all the things that entails. In terms of that ethnicity stream and the conversation about race, that certainly seems to have taken on a completely new kind of momentum this year. Is that how you see it from your perspective as well? It's really interesting because, as I said, we've been at this for three years now. And we called the movement Talk About Black. It was actually Dawid who published a blog, which, so can we talk? Can we talk about black? We turned it into a hashtag. I then did a follow-up article. We turned it into a brand. But the reason why we called it that is because the discussion just wasn't happening. Because race, the discussion of race, the topic of race in the UK is very much a taboo subject. Because people are uncomfortable, but also because I think there's a feeling that racism doesn't exist in the UK or it's not as prevalent here as it is overseas. So there's this this feeling that we live in a post-racial society. Um, the experience of black people in society and black professionals in the industry tells a very, very different story, but it's never heard because of this inability or unwillingness to discuss or approach the subject. So we felt quite strongly that the first challenge was actually having a discussion about it. And we called it Talk About Black to basically overcome the taboo. And yes, it has accelerated over the last, I guess, six months or so, because people have now realised that it actually is an issue and that it needs to be discussed. 
Yeah, I guess it is an uncomfortable subject, isn't it? I mean, I'd be honest, I feel a bit uncomfortable right now starting this conversation. And when Mary and I talked about this, we both said, look, it's going to be a bit uncomfortable. But, but that's the whole point, isn't it, I guess? And that sounds like that's what you were getting at when you're saying, look, we just need to talk about it, get conversations going, uh, help people um, have a sensible conversation about it, which makes sense as hard as it is. I suppose that's what's got to happen. Yeah, and I think there's a whole myriad of obstacles that we need to navigate to get to a place of equality or equal representation or fairness, call, call it what you want. But it really starts with people actually understanding and engaging with the topic. The irony is that that discomfort that you feel, you're right, that's where the growth and understanding is. But that's kind of how we feel many, 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 many times daily, so much so that we've buried that discomfort. So... I think it's important that people do get comfortable in being uncomfortable. And I guess part of it is not necessarily knowing what words to say. And I guess well, one of the reasons for having the talk about black movement is just, just to get more used to the idea of the conversation. I can't remember where I sort of saw this, but references to kind of when you're talking to someone about an experience they've had, human nature is to try and associate yourself with their feelings. And you might say, oh, I had this situation as well, where I was in this awkward position, or I was the underdog or whatever. But I think this goes so far beyond that. I don't know how you feel about those sorts of conversations if you're talking. So for example, if you are talking to a woman about your experiences with race and in investment, and they have experiences with gender and in investment, I'm not saying one trumps the other because there are very different sort of experiences that people have. But is that helpful in the discussion or is it kind of actually, no, listen to my experience because this is a different issue that we're talking about? Yeah, I think it's interesting, Mary, because I think on one hand, like we appreciate, or certainly I appreciate, I guess the empathy that people are trying to achieve or the camaraderie that they're trying to achieve by saying that I'm also a minority and I understand what you're going through. So I think that is... That's certainly better than the alternative, which is just shutting down the conversation. I think the challenge, however, is that what then happens is the issue is looked through the lens of a person who has had a different experience. And it's not to belittle the experience that they've had. Being involved in diversity, I'm always the only guy in the room. So actually, I do know what that feels like. <laughs> but it's rare for me to be you know, in a situation where there's this structural challenge of sexism. I just don't know what that feels like. I freely admit that. It's in the same way that, yes, you know, for example, Mary, you are a white woman, but you would never understand what it's like to be a black woman or a black man. So I don't think it is human nature, but I think it takes on a slightly different dynamic when you're talking to black people. Because I think you have to also realise that as the race, we've been the subjugated race. And although the intent might be to create empathy, the way it might be received is that it's the white person is taking ownership over the problem and not really trying to allow you to understand it. And that's the whole power dynamic that you've been striving, to, been working against for a long period of time. So I don't doubt the intention, but maybe just think about the impact and the outcome that that conversation is having. Yeah, that's just really interesting. And, and, and Gavin, I guess just for listeners' benefit, I think it'd be really interesting to hear some of your perspective as a black individual in investment what are some of the areas where you feel some of those sort of entrenched or systemic kind of biases are, are showing up it's a very big question because it kind of cuts across a range of things it cuts across just i guess access to not just the investment world but just the corporate world it cuts across culture and it actually cuts across investing itself so like the access to that world is 
and it depends, right? And, you know, a disclaimer here is that, look, not every black person grew up in the circumstances that I did. And there were some very, there were some black people that have had a very different experience to me. I mean, many have been to a privately educated and have parents who are in the industry, associated industries, and won't be able to relate to anything that I'm saying at all. So I'm not speaking for every black person, just to make that clear. However, there was a large, there were a large proportion of black people who do grow up in socioeconomically disadvantaged environments and even conceiving of the idea to develop a career well develop a career and then develop a career in finance is just beyond them because it's not something that you would necessarily know hear or understand so when I was growing up no I mean my mum was unemployed for a long time put herself for university and became a nurse but even then as even having a profession this was an alien world to her and still is so I think I think that access is a big problem and of course, you know, the intersection here is it's not just black people that affects. And if you're a, a white kid in on a council state in Glasgow, maybe those same barriers are there. So this access point, I think, cuts across, but it, it's just the fact you find a large proportion of black people in that situation. I think when you do get into the industry, then you have to wrestle with this whole idea about culture and fit. And I think firms are making strides to hire more diverse professionals which is a term that I've used and I'm going to stop using now because you're not diverse talent you're just talent and I think that's the issue right so people hire you as diverse talent and then they say great look how well we've done and then but what they don't do is they might, they might hire contextually but then what they don't do is manage careers contextually so you may have come from a different background you may have a different experience and actually if you've come from my background what got you there was probably some unique attributes that may not be represented in the firm the problem is, is what corporates do, again, not just limited to finance, but what corporates do is that they then have a culture. And that culture has been defined by a very narrow demographic. And that demographic probably the representative of those diverse people, quote unquote, people that they've brought in. So then what happens is you don't get the right fit. And if you're a firm and you're proud of your culture, I do think this is something which is particular to investment firms, because as you know, as consultants, that every firm you have there's probably a direct link between the nature of the investment product they have and the nature of the culture in the firm. So you're very, I won't use the word aggressive, but you're very forthright, trading-orientated, alpha-orientated firm. There's a high chance that probably that reflects the culture. I do think it, it becomes more unique in the investment world. But the problem is that there's no one there to challenge that because it's been successful. And to some people, it, it's very meaningful. The culture is, is everything to them. So when this person doesn't fit in, the response of the firm or the culture of the people is, well, actually, they don't fit our culture. And the problem is with that individual, not perhaps with our firm. So I think diversity tends to be a one-way trade. It needs to be both ways. What you need to do is not just have a diversity policy, bring these people in and, and say what well, we're inclusive. You need to think about how do we flex and how do we adapt? How do we adapt to that? And I don't think that's happening yet. I don't even think firms are really thinking about that yet. So those attributes that you have, if this person has, I don't know, grit, resilience, or conceptual thinking, imagination, vision, are we really utilizing that? Or do we bring them in and expect them to behave like everybody else? Your, your point around finance is, I mean, that you could probably do a podcast and that whole thing in of itself, because you get to this idea about like, okay, finance. First of all, you have this idea of finance and financial acumen and understanding about personal finances is just one aspect. But then you get into this whole discussion around, okay, so what is the purpose of finance? And what are we trying to do? Is it produce an investment return? Yes, but produce an investment return for what and for what purpose? 
And then you get into, so is that purpose to produce the right outcomes for our investors or is this as wide a societal benefit as there now is this wider environmental benefit? I think everybody's embraced that. And if that is the case, then actually you'll see that we haven't done a good job because the who sways the society that have been left behind. And then that, sorry, picks up a whole conversation around, okay, so this is about capitalism. What type of capitalism is the right thing? Obviously, now you're seeing conversations around basically because of the environment that we're now working and living in. Is capitalism works? Should it be about inequalities? Is it stakeholder capitalism? Is it inclusive capitalism? And then you have this intersection, obviously, with black people and people that are socioeconomically deprived. And what role do they play in this? Yes, that's super interesting. So I think what you're saying is it's just incredibly deeply rooted in not only the system we're in, but the institutions and just the whole fabric of the society and the industry, as well as the specific industry in investing. But I think the point you made about diversity being two-way, I think, is that is really interesting. I think it can be easy to assume that people aspire to hire, as you say, talent, which happens to be diverse, and sort of assume it will just work and that something beautiful and magical will happen once you do that. But actually, you can find it can be quite hard work because you hire, life's easy when everyone thinks the same and looks the same and talks the same and does everything the same. It's easy to get on with those people. But what's harder is when they don't. Personally, I do think there is a bit of a question about conformity in investing generally, that there is a huge, almost a subliminal pressure to conform. And you can see it in the way people dress, the way they talk, the way they write, almost everything. And then it sort of bakes in a real culture there. Yeah. And I guess it's the difference, isn't it, on that first point you made, Dan, it's diversity versus inclusion. And I think you get all of these groups at probably every firm that's the diversity and inclusion committee group movement, whatever you want to call it. And actually, diversity and inclusion are completely different things or can be completely different things. And to create the right environment as people sort of strive to when they say we're going to hire a diverse workforce, what they actually want to achieve is an inclusive workforce, which is diverse because that's the best way of getting the most out of all of those different people who have such diverse ways of thinking. There's so much there, right? So like the conformity bit, Dan, is really interesting because you're absolutely right. I've had some very interesting conversations with not just black people, but white people. Being in this situation is very interesting because it allows you to have some very intimate conversations because when you put yourself out there, people want to open up to you. So I had some very interesting conversations with white people who often in tears because they say, well, actually, you know what? I've been hiding the fact that I grew up in a town which is really poor, my father left, but I've never been able to be, actually, you know what? I'm a working class person who has a poor background. It's easier for them to blend in, obviously, because they don't look like me. But the conformity, it like cuts across everything. I do think, therefore, there is this other impact, as well as us not getting the best out of people. I think we're also having this detrimental impact on people because... So give you an example, like for me, I'm six foot three and I have presence and that when I walk into the room, people notice me and it can easily, it can be a lot for people when they're not used to seeing someone like me walk into a room. So I can even embrace that, but, but to be honest, I often haven't. I've tried to hide it. So I make myself smaller. I try to be the nicest, most charming, funniest, non-threatening person because the default wiring in people's heads is that when they see someone like me, they're associated with not with things which are not positive, but unfortunately things which are negative. And that conformity, I think, is a real impact on you emotionally and psychologically. And it's not healthy. It's not healthy. So this is more, this is more than just about conformities, actually, and more than are we getting the best out of people. It's actually what experience are people having in our organizations and are our organizations catering for their well-being? And Mary, your point around diversity and inclusion is interesting because I think there is a spectrum. 
And I think the starting point is diversity. The midpoint is inclusion. The end point really is performance. Because why are we doing this? It shouldn't be because it's a tick box. Maybe it's the right thing to do, but actually there has to be a belief behind it. And that belief from a business perspective has to be that actually the inclusion of people with different perspectives is going to improve our ability to meet whatever corporate objective we have. But I think the conversation is not where it needs to be. I think we're still thinking about this in terms of diversity inclusion. Maybe the form of diversity inclusion is not the language of business. So you have those people who believe and understand this, but then you've got this huge demographic in the middle who may be feeling, oh, bloody hell, look, first you have to deal with women. Then we have to deal with the LGBT community. And then here come the black people. Now, whether or not that's the right view, maybe we need to speak to those people in a different language. And maybe we need to start from actually, how do we achieve our business objectives and what's the right way to do it? Because they, you know, this whole DNI discussion is quite alien. There is a point of which should, which should be alien because I think we need, do need to humanize the industry to a much greater extent. But I haven't yet seen the discussion really from a performance perspective. So it'd be really interesting for firms to understand why they're doing this. So, for example, work in the savings industry, you know, you've got this big wall of DB assets. It is slowly changing, but it's not about investing anymore. Maybe it's about savings because you've got this individualization of investing. And actually, that universe, those individuals, the demographic is very different to your trustee boards. They're invariably more individuals, more DC, and actually they're more diverse. So maybe we need to understand. So you can create a whole bunch of different business cases for this, but maybe we need to change the narrative somewhat. Yeah. And I guess there is that dual aspect, isn't it? I remember when we were within LCP first kind of creating the women's network and I kind of, I slightly struggled with the concept to start with. I'm kind of slightly uncomfortable admitting, but I will admit. And part of it was because I thought, why are they putting me in a box and saying I'm a woman and therefore I need more support? And actually, it was explained to me that actually the thought process, that was one part of it. And it wasn't putting people in boxes, but it was offering support if if support was needed. But it was also the fact that increasingly, as you just referred to, our client base was changing. And we had increasing numbers of women who were clients and actually nurturing that sort of relationship was really important. So I think if you start understanding the dual aspect of it, it's, it does make a lot more sense. And like you said, it's then the language that you're using to demonstrate that to people that perhaps aren't so engaged with this to start with. That point you made a second ago, Gavin, about the ways you feel you've had to sort of change and shape your personality a little bit to fit in. I heard you say that on a webinar probably a few months ago now, and that was a bit of like a light bulb moment for me, right? Because I just had no idea, I guess, or just wouldn't have thought that that was your day-to-day experience of it. I know what a racist joke looks like. If I hear that, I can see that and hear it. And I know that that's racist, but I didn't realize that there was a much subtler kind of fitting in conformity, kind of continuous sort of suppressing of natural personality thing, which, yeah, for sure, that's going to have a negative effect on people over the long term, isn't it? And, and potentially be just as damaging as more obvious, overt things, I suppose, right? I think there's evidence to show, and I know from personal experience, that the obvious thing you can deal with when it's not so obvious, and there are terms for this now, microaggressions and the like, when it's not so obvious, that is harder to deal with because, first of all, you question yourself. Do I take that the right way? Why do I feel this way about it? Because it's not obvious, it's very difficult to pinpoint the act or acts that have made you feel this way. And then, unfortunately, I think because if you are a minority in an organization, and again, this is obviously about race, but this cuts across a lot of the minority groups. But if you are a minority in the organization and you do try to or decide to take it further, 
you're going to be sitting across from, for example, me as a black person, white people who will then say, well, why is that racial? Prove it. Tell me about it. I don't really think it is. Why? And the exhaustion that comes from that is palpable. How can you prove to someone who's never had the lived experience, who's got these blinkers on, that that is, as far as they're concerned, well, that's not, I don't think that's a racist because racism looks like, as you say, Dan, the N-word. When actually, well, the behavioural things which come into play, that I think is really, really challenging. And I do worry about, I worry about myself and I worry about my own mental well-being when it comes to dealing with these things because it is exhausting. But you're right, the conformity is this constant layer of being on your guard and watching what you say and how you say it. And, you know, I can have someone who'd be very upset with me. They could shout or they could behave badly. I can never react in the same way because as soon as I do, there's a label immediately. And that label can be, can write you a list. And once you have that label, it's really hard to shake it. Fortunately, other people, not black people, will get the benefit of the doubt. Oh, they're just a bit X or they're just a bit Y. Whereas you are, you know what, you're too this or you're too that. And again, of course, that's anecdotal from my experience. But given the role that we play in the discussions that we have with black people in the industry, not just asset management, legal tech, banking, that's the real experience. Like, these are the things which are very, very difficult to uncover. And if, I think the final point I make is that calling these things out, they can happen on a daily basis. How many battles do you fight? Wow. So what a conversation we've been having with Gavin. When we recorded this, it did go on a bit longer than one episode worth, but it's such an important topic that we've decided we'll split this into two episodes. So that's it in terms of content for episode one. We'll be back next week with the second half. But Dan, thinking back on this first episode, what do you think is our sort of one key takeaway that you'd take from this conversation? Yeah, for me, the one thing I'm taking away from this is this point around culture versus conformity. Gavin was making the point there's a lot of positive sides to culture, and we talk about it a lot in the investment business, about having a clear culture. But it can have quite a dark side to it as well when it's pushed too far, when it's sort of not challenged enough, and that it can actually lead to a sort of conformity and people not really being given the permission to sort of express themselves or or really be themselves, or people are not quote-unquote fitting within the culture. They can sort of get a little bit marginalized and pushed out which really works against the need for diversity and those sort of things so that's something i hadn't hadn't thought much about to be honest so yeah it's really taking that away yeah it's so essential isn't it for sort of diversity of thought which is really you know in this sort of industry we don't necessarily think of ourselves as creatives but having fresh new ideas is the way that this industry continues to move forward so yeah so really vital for that so thinking ahead to next week We'll be talking in more detail about various aspects we've touched on this week. We'll be going into particular detail on how we move forward together with this, not shying away from these quite difficult topics. And for those that are feeling the lack of a book recommendation this week, never fear, because Gavin had a really long list of recommendations for us. The listeners won't see this, but we saw a huge pile of books while we recorded. He had a ton of books, didn't he? He there? So um, looking forward to some great recommendations from Gavin next week. Absolutely. Yeah, indeed. So that's it from us for this week. I hope you found the episode insightful and we look forward to continuing the conversation next week. Thanks. Our podcast is for information and marketing purposes only and does not constitute any form of investment or financial advice. For more information, please refer to our marketing privacy policy on the LCP website.